And that is my cat, Destiny, who I think was jealous that both Dubro and Ducky got to make appearances in the episode, and he hasn't been here yet. Hey guys, it's me again, Overreactor, and this is the second part of uh, the skater rules test from the WFTDA. If you have not listened to the first part, it's not the end of the world. You can listen to them in either order because I'm reading the questions and talking about the answers, but there may be some things that come up that I refer back to things we've already talked about, but really we're just going through the test. Um, But yeah, I, I feel like listening to them in order is probably helpful because it seems as though the test is going kind of in a logical order to kind of help you along the way. And, but either way, whatever, just listen to whatever you want to listen to. Your ears, your choice. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to read questions 25 through 50 now and talk about those answers. So we left off, we already did number 25, so we're going to go to 26. And again, I'll link to the WFTDA test and answer key in the show notes so that you can study along or follow along. And do it like that. However you want to do it is totally fine by me. I don't know about you, but I like making decisions for my own life. And that's nice. So you have the freedom to do the same. Okay, number 26. Which one of the following does not receive a false start warning? There are three options. So two of them will receive a false start warning and one will not. Let's find out what it is. Is it A... As the jam whistle sounds, the jammer's skate has rolled forward past the jammer line. Is it B? White pivot is lined up completely in front of the pivot line. Or is it C? Red pivot lines up behind white blockers with red pivot's skate on the pivot line. So the answer to number 26, which one does not receive a false start warning? That is when the white pivot is lined up completely in front of the pivot line. We talked about this. We talked about flagrant violations. So you do not get a warning for that because that rule is part of the understanding of your job. Now, why does A and C get a false start warning? Here it is. So for A, when the jam starting whistle sounds, the jammer's skate has rolled forward past the jammer line. You know, sometimes the jammers, they kind of like go back and forth and like, oh, I'm going to go this way, but I'm going to go this way. Ooh, what, what are you going to do? And perhaps the the skate may touch the line or roll a little bit in, ahead of it. That's not enough to like get a penalty. They just get the false start warning and they have to yield to anyone in their vicinity. And, it, and also with C, this one is a little bit more in depth. Red pivot lines up behind white blockers with red pivots skate on the pivot line. This means that red pivot's hips are behind the white blockers, but their skate is on the line. So the red pivot would need to like be extending their leg forward to the pivot line while reaching their hips backwards behind the hips of the white blockers. In that case, the white blockers would be lined up ahead of the pivot who has the right to be on the line and the white blockers would get that false start warning. Again, it doesn't warrant a penalty unless they fail to yield. Okay, number 27. It's a true or false. True or false. A team captain is issued a penalty for altering the flow of the game if their team fails to field a jammer when legally able to do so. That's true. So we talked before in the previous episode 
that teams have to field a jammer if legally able to do so. And if they don't, then a penalty needs to be assigned because then the jam gets called off and it delays the flow of the game. But who does that penalty go to? Because perhaps that team has six players who are jammers for their team. Who do you pick? You pick the captain. So that is one of the responsibilities of the captain to, you know, make sure that the proper number of players are fielded for each jam. And if if the captain fails to make sure that happens, the captain gets a penalty. And it really sucks for that captain. So, yeah, the captain will get the penalty if they fail to field a jammer when legally able to do so. Okay, number 28. Which part of the body is a legal blocking zone? Check all that apply. There are five options. Legal blocking zones. Where? What part of your body can you use to block an opposing player? A, the forearm. B, the chest. C, the upper thigh. D, the upper arm. And E, the lower thigh. There are three that are valid. B, C, and D. The chest, the upper thigh, and the upper arm are all part of legal blocking zones. And remember, a blocking zone is the part of your body that you use to block your opponent. Your target zone is where you are targeting the force of your impact with your block. So the target zones are a little different than the blocking zones. Number 29. Which of the following actions will render blockers unable to block, causing a skater to be penalized? There are five options. A, destroying the pack. B, skating out of bounds to avoid a hit. C, remaining outside of the engagement zone. D, all of the above. E, none of the above. All right, so we're looking for actions that will render blockers unable to block. And it would be D, all of the above. If you destroy the pack, that means if you are the one skater that makes the majority and you move more than 10 feet away from, you know, other players from the opposing team, that's destroying the pack and nobody can block if there is no pack. So you've rendered other players unable to play, you get the penalty. If you skate out of bounds to avoid being hit, no, you can't do that. You'd get a penalty. And if you remain outside of the engagement zone, you are placing yourself in a position where you cannot block or be blocked. And that is not the rules of roller derby. So you would get a penalty. So the answer to number 29 would be D, all of the above. Number 30, red blocker exits the penalty box and is half a lap behind the pack. Red blocker initiates a whip to help red jammer gain speed and the whip is completed. Who should receive an out of play penalty? Is it A, red blocker, B, red jammer, C, both, or D, neither? The answer is A, red blocker. Because the red blocker initiated the whip, they would be the one to receive that penalty. Okay, I think this is a good time to stop and take a break. So sit tight and we'll be right back. Okay, and we are back. Moving on to number 31. 
red blocker initiates contact to white blocker in the center of their back. White blocker does not fall, but the action allows red jammer to pass white blocker. What penalty is assessed, if any? Is it A, forearm, B, back block, C, cutting the track, or D, no penalty? Well, it would be B, back block, since the red blocker initiates contact to the back, the center of the back of the white blocker. Back block penalty. Okay, number 32. While attempting to pass a wall of red blockers, white jammer initiates contact to the buttocks of the red blockers with the point of their knee, but neither passes nor knocks down any red blockers. Is a penalty assessed to white jammer? Is it yes or no? Yes, a penalty is assessed to the white jammer because they initiated contact with a part of their body that is not a legal blocking zone. Number 33, true or false. Red pivot skates around a downed white pivot and in doing so goes out of bounds. Red pivot returns in front of white pivot. Red pivot should receive a cutting the track penalty. Is it true or false? The answer is false. The red pivot would not receive a track cut penalty because the downed white pivot was down. They didn't have a superior position to the red pivot at any point in this whole thing, so that's not a penalty. Number 34, true or false. Red pivot blocks the white jammer to the inside of the track. White jammer attempts to stay out of bounds but enters the track, then immediately leaves the track again. The white jammer is not assessed a penalty. Is that true or false? It's true. The white jammer is not assessed a penalty. This is because they tried to stay out of bounds, but they came back in, but they immediately went back out of bounds in order to, you know, make amends for that little whoopsie. So they're able to yield the position in that way by immediately stepping out of bounds, and thus avoiding receiving a penalty. But if they do take any action that is considered plain derby before they do that, then it would be a penalty. But in this case for number 34, it's true that the white jammer would not be assessed a penalty. Number 35, true or false. White blocker is correctly assessed a penalty with the correct verbal cue and hand signal. White blocker willfully fails to leave the track despite repeated calls. White blocker receives an additional penalty. Is that true or false? It's true. If, if any player receives a penalty and is given the proper verbal cue and hand signal and they willfully defy the order of the officials, then that is insubordination and they would receive an additional penalty, which means they would have to serve two penalties in the penalty box. Bummer. Number 36. True or false? Each team has a possible total of two official reviews per half. Is that true or false? That's true. In each half of the game, each team has a total of two official reviews that they can use. Or rather, a possible of two official.
Number 37. When may the pivot legally receive the helmet cover from the jammer? Is it A, when the pivot is out of bounds while the jammer remains inbounds? B, when the jammer is kneeling inbounds? C, when both the pivot and the jammer are upright inbounds and the pivot is in play? Or D, when the pivot removes it from the jammer's helmet? Well, if you listened to all of the episodes, you know how passionate I am about this, that the answer is C, when both the pivot and the jammer are upright inbounds and the pivot is in play. That's kind of the basic, like, if you don't know anything else, remember, in order to be able to play derby, you must be upright inbounds and in play. And I believe the reason why they specify that the pivot is in play is that jammers are basically always in play because jammers can make contact with each other wherever they are. Um, But blockers, pivots included, because pivots are blockers with special privileges, they have to be within the engagement zone or pack to receive the helmet cover. The jammer cannot give the helmet cover to the pivot if the pivot is outside of the engagement zone because the pivot is not in play. All right, so number 38. What is the official whistle signal for lead jammer? Is it A, one short whistle blast, B, two rapid whistles, C, one long whistle, or D, four rapid whistles? The answer is B, two rapid whistles. That's how you know it's lead jammer. Toot toot, lead jammer, toot toot, jammer. That's how you can remember. Number 39, true or false. A skater may skate out of bounds to avoid a hit. Is it true or false? It's false, you guys. A skater may not skate out of bounds to avoid a hit. Earlier in one of the questions, it said a skater went out of bounds while attempting to go around a down skater. Well, that's different. They weren't trying to avoid a hit. They were trying to avoid running into a down skater. So yeah, number 35, no, number 39 It's false. A skater, yeah, they may not skate out of bounds to avoid a hit. I mean, it says on number 39, a skater may skate out of bounds to avoid a hit, and the answer is false because a skater may not skate out of bounds to avoid a hit. Okay, moving on. Number 40. 40. What must a pivot do to legally become the jammer after picking up the star from the track? Ooh, this is a tricky one. So here's what we know. The star has, for whatever reason, fallen to the track. Now, remember earlier, I believe in the previous episode, the jammer gave the helmet cover to a non-pivot blocker, and the answer was that that non-pivot blocker would need to immediately drop the helmet cover to the floor in order to avoid being assessed a penalty, either Either way, if the penalty would have gone to the jammer or the non-pivot blocker, either way, the non-pivot blocker has to drop it to the floor. Maybe the helmet cover got pulled off after normal gameplay. Whatever happened, the star helmet cover is on the floor. So what must a pivot do to legally become the jammer after the pivot has picked up the star from the track? Is it A, return it to the jammer, who in turn passes it back to the pivot, B, put it on their helmet, C, hold the star in their hand, or D, 
throw it to the jammer? The answer is A, return it to the jammer, who in turn passes it back to the pivot. That's how star passes work. It must go from the hand of the jammer to the actual physical hand of the pivot. If for some reason it slips out of the jammer's hand and falls to the track and the jammer is being held back, but the helmet cover's on the floor, nobody else may touch it except for the pivot. So only the pivot or the jammer is ever allowed to touch it. So the pivot can pick it up, sure, but that does not make the pivot the jammer. The pivot must then put it back in the hand of the jammer, release it, and then re-grab it from the jammer's hand. That's how it goes. Number 41. What differentiates an overtime jam from a regular jam? Check all that apply. Oh boy, we kind of talked about this in the other first part of this. Okay, so we have three options. We're going to check all that apply. What is the difference between overtime jam and a regular jam? Could it be A, no lead jammer is declared. B, both jammers begin scoring on their first trip. C, only three blockers are allowed on the track. There's two answers. It's both A and B. There is no lead jammer declared and both jammers begin scoring on their first trip. And of course, they can. each team can field up to four blockers, so C is not part of this. Number 42. Before the jam whistle, there are three white blockers completely on the track and the fourth white blocker has one foot in bounds and one foot out of bounds straddling the line. The jam starting whistle is blown. What happens to the straddling white blocker? Is it A, no impact, no penalty? B, the straddling white blocker is given a false start warning? C, the straddling white blocker is told to return to their bench? Or is it D, the straddling white blocker is given an illegal positioning penalty? The answer is C, the straddling white blocker is told to return to their bench. And here's why. The blocker was not fully in bounds at the start of the jam, so they are considered out of bounds. And you cannot participate in that jam if you are out of bounds when the jam starting whistle is blown. On the same token, let's say the five second warning has been called and your final blocker is like rushing to get on the track and jumps and is airborne in the air going over the line to get into bounds when the jam starting whistle sounds and they land in bounds immediately after the jam starting whistle is blown, they would still be sent back to their bench because while airborne, you maintain your previous status and prior to being in the air, that blocker was out of bounds. So you're out of bounds while you're in the air. So when the whistle blew, that skater was out of bounds. So yes, you go back to your bench. Number 43, true or false? Penalties assessed to a captain on behalf of another skater are counted toward the captain fouling out. Is that true or false? It's true, you guys. So remember how we talked about how um, if a team fails to field a jammer that the penalty would be assessed to the captain? That penalty would count toward that captain's number of penalties and their foul out. So it's a big responsibility to be a captain and captains have to be extra certain that things are, you know, happening and everything's going properly so that they as a person 
do not get fouled out because of silly things like that. Number 44, true or false. Jammers may initiate contact with the opposing jammer outside the engagement zone. I kind of gave this one away earlier, so what do you think? Is it true or false? It's true. Jammers may initiate contact with other jammers outside of the engagement zone. Yeah, because they are basically, jammers aren't bound by the pack definition stuff. The jammers can go wherever they want. I mean, of course, within their own guidelines, right? Okay, we only have five more left, and then you guys are going to be experts on the test. Number 45. White blocker is knocked off balance and grabs hold of red blocker's jersey in an attempt to regain their balance. Red blocker remains standing but is significantly slowed by the pulling on their jersey. White blocker regains their balance as a result of this action. What will this action result in? Will it be A. Red blocker is penalized. B. White blocker is penalized. Or is it C. No impact, no penalty. The answer would be B. White blocker is penalized. It cannot be C, no impact, no penalty, because there was an impact. As a result of white blocker grabbing red blocker's jersey, white blocker was not only to regain their own balance, but they also significantly slowed down the momentum or speed of their opponent. So there was a significant impact to the flow of the game, and white blocker shouldn't be grabbing red blocker's jersey. So white blocker would be penalized for that. Number 46. If the white team calls an official review in the first half and wins that review, how many more official reviews can they take in the first period? Is it A. Unlimited if they keep winning reviews. B. One more. C. None. Teams only get one review per period regardless of the result. Or is it D. Two more. Teams get three official reviews per period. Okay, well, we know already it cannot be D because we talked about this earlier. Teams get two official reviews per half. And so that also means, well, I guess I can't say it also means this or that, but the answer nevertheless is one more. If, okay, so what it means by winning a review is let's say the team uh, captain sees a track cut happen that a referee did not call and they're like, yeah, for sure that was a track cut. I know for sure I saw it with my eyes. The captain or the designated alternate can call an official review. They would go in and chit chat with the head ref. The officials may discuss it and an official might say, you know what? Yeah, I definitely saw that track cut happen, but I froze and I just didn't call it or um, I... You know, there was another penalty that happened at the same time, so I wasn't able to call it. But yes, the captain or designated alternate is right. That was a penalty that should have been assessed. My bad. So sorry. I'll be better next time. So the penalty would then then be given to the person who made the track cut. In essence, the captain and the team won that review. They were right. And so they would be given another opportunity to call an official review, but only once. Um, You do not get unlimited amounts of these. If you keep winning, you get just one. So, yeah. So if you call an official review and you win, you get one more. Wait. Hold on. This is... Okay, now I'm confused. If the white team calls an official review in the first half and wins that review, how many more official reviews can they take in the first period? It says one more. Yeah, that's the answer. That's the answer that's given. But I feel like the answer would be two more 
but not because teams get three official reviews, because they get to retain that official review. Did that rule change? Okay, I'm I'm very confused now by this. I'm going to have to pause and look this up. Okay, part of me wants to delete all of this previous confusion that I had, but I'm choosing, I'm going to leave it in because I get confused too. And I want us to figure this out together. And I want to talk through why I'm confused because perhaps other people may be confused as well. And if you're not confused at all by this, then you can let me know why it's not confusing to you because that might help me and other people understand it. Here's where I'm confused. All right. In number, um, oh Lord, where was it? In number 36, it says true or false. Each team has a possible total of two official reviews per half. The answer is true. They get two reviews per half. Okay. In the rules... It says each team begins the period with one official review, which they may use during that period. And then it defines an official review. Official reviews are not carried forward to the subsequent period. Okay, so this, is there a difference between a half and a period? In the game, in the game structure, game parameters, it says a play is broken up into two 30-minute periods, and within those periods, into units of play called jams, which last up to two minutes, and there are 30 seconds between each jam. So I'm getting the impression that a period and a half are the same thing. They're two 30-minute periods, so you have the first half and the second half. First period, second period. And then it says, with official reviews, each team begins the period with one official review. But then on number 36, it says true or false. Each team has a possible of two official reviews per half. Let me make sure I circled the right one. 36A. 36A. A is true. (sighs) Let me, I'm going to, the cool thing I like about the WFTDA rules website is you can search for terms. So I'm searching for the term half. My search did not match any documents. Period. Okay, so the word period comes up in game parameters and safety, you know, uh, divided up into two 30-minute periods with a half time between them. Period clock, period clock, and then some, let's look at the summary. This might help. Play is broken up into two 30-minute periods, and within those periods into units of play. Uh, You guys, why is this so confusing? Because if you, okay, okay, let me look up official review. So it says, um, each team begins the period with one official review, which they may use during that period. An official review is a formal request made by a captain or designated alternate. If the head referee determines that there was an officiating error in relation to the situation under review, the team will retain the privilege to call an additional review later in the same period. The review can be retained in this manner only once per period. Official reviews, whether unused or retained, are not carried forward to the subsequent period. Okay, so in the rules, 1.3.2, it says each team begins the period with one official review, but they can retain that review if they win, giving them one more official review. So maybe that's why in number 36, that's why... (gasps) 
I get it. I get it. I get it. I got tricked up in my head. This is tricky trick trickness. Okay. Each team has a possible total of two official reviews per half because it's possible for them to get to if they win their first official review. But that does not mean that they start with two. They start with one official review per half or per period. But and then that was number 36. So it is possible for them to have two official reviews per period. But when we look at number 46, if the white team calls an official review in the first half and wins that review, how many more official reviews can they take in the first period? One, because they won it and they get one more. Now, if they call another one and they win it again, that's it. Max you can have is two. Oh my goodness, that, re that okay, that really took me a minute to get there. But this is so important and I'm going to leave this whole thought process in here so that I feel like this could be helpful because there are a lot of things in here that it takes a little while of looking at the rules before it really clicks. Okay, all right. I hope we all feel really good about that and are very clear in our understanding of it. Okay, number 47, true or false, a skater who is bleeding may return to play. That is false. If you are bleeding, you cannot be in play. Number 48, true or false. The proximity of a skater in relation to other skaters is measured by the distance of their skates. Is it true or false? That is false. It is measured by the distance between their hips, by the center of their hips. Number 49, which of the following will be considered a penalty even if there is no impact on the game or no gain or loss of relative position? Is it A, the use of forearms and hands, B, cutting the track, C, blocking with the head, or D, none of the above? The answer is C, blocking with the head. That will be considered a penalty even if there's no impact because, like we said before, you cannot play billy goats gruff and headbutt each other. That is not only dangerous to you, it is dangerous to everyone else. So, no, block with your head, you're gonna go to the penalty box. Cool. Number 50. True or false, no non-pivot blockers may be touching the jammer or pivot lines at the jam starting whistle. Is it A, true or B, false? That's true. If you are not a pivot and if you are not a jammer, you're not allowed to touch those lines. Those lines are named after the only players who are allowed to touch them. The pivot can touch the pivot line. The jammer can touch the jammer line. If you are not a jammer, don't do it. If you are a non-pivot blocker, why? Why would you want to touch something that doesn't belong to you? Mm-mm, don't do it. And dun-da-da-da, we just went through the entire WFTDA skaters rules test. And I hope you feel confident about being able to take this test whenever you go to take it with your league. You can find the links to the test and the answers in my show notes. And you can practice it. You can quiz yourself. And yeah, I hope you do well. And I will make another episode where I just have the rules and, and answers or something like that to have an even more review of it so we can just have the questions without all the like talking in between. Um, we'll see. You guys let me know what would be helpful to you. Uh, I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback from a lot of you guys that you're liking this podcast because you are audio learners and I totally get that. 
I feel like I am <laughs> I'm a talker learner that I have to read things out loud in order to really understand and comprehend them and then even listen back to them or have someone else read them to me and that is the best way for me to learn and so that was one of the difficulties I faced while learning all of the rules and I failed this test several times my first year because I just I could not understand it and it's like I would start to read and then everything would just go blurry or I'd be reading and before I knew it I'm five pages along and I couldn't recall any of the content because I was thinking about sandwiches or something or I was petting my cat and just like subconsciously reading and and it was very frustrating and so I'm also a teacher by day and so I work with you know, students with special needs and, um, and different accommodations. And I totally understand different styles of learning. And so, you know, I figured if this is something that would be helpful to me, then maybe this is something that would be helpful to other people. And so I'm really thankful for all of your support and, and for telling your leagues about it and spreading the word to other people, because it really does help keep me motivated to continue uh, taking the time to do this. Um, I'm a one woman job over here. And so um, it does take a bit of time, but I'm, I'm happy to do it. And I'm happy to make connections with you guys from all over the world. That's really special and a very unique part of roller derby. So thank you all so much. And um, I'll, I'll talk to you guys soon. All right, have a good one. Bye-bye. Oh, here's Dude Bro. Can you hear him? <laughs> Dude Bro, he is all over me today. Okay.